Warriors. Welcome to the very first episode of my podcast, The Warrior Life. My name is Pam Palmiter, and I'm going to be the host of this show. It's a show about living a warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. An important part of decolonization is looking inward at ourselves and what we can do to make ourselves stronger, healthier, and happier, while at the same time empowering others so that together we can collectively rebuild our nations and create a better life for our future generations. Our ancestors lived warrior lifestyles, which focused on things like nutrition, health, fitness, self-discipline, gratitude, education, spirituality, nurturing, and sharing. However, it also included the defense of our territories, the protection of our people, and living in a way which contributed to and benefited from the collective, our families, our communities, our houses, our clans, and our nations. Each episode of this podcast will feature different aspects of warrior living, and we'll talk to different people about what this means to them. You can sort of think of this show as a native warrior lifestyle magazine, but in podcast form. In this introductory episode, I'll tell you a little bit about my background, my concept for the show, sort of where it came from, and the kinds of issues that we'll be covering in the coming weeks, months, and hopefully years. But first, a little about me. Now, I often get asked, what what should you call me? My students often say, are you Indian, Native, Aboriginal, Indigenous, First Nations, Treaty, Status? And any of those things apply. However, I prefer to identify as Mi'kmaq or Ilnu because that is the nation from which I come. That is my um, the source of my identity. It's true, I'm a band member of Eel River Bar First Nation in Northern New Brunswick, but that is just one of the many communities that are part of the larger sovereign Mi'kmaq nation, which is why I prefer to identify as Mi'kmaq. Our territory extends far beyond the reserves that were created under the Indian Act. In fact, our territory is known as Mi'kma'ki. It covers the majority of the East Coast, and it's completely unceded territory. We have lots of pre-Confederation treaties, but none of those treaties uh, surrendered our lands or our sovereignty. So I'm proud to be Ilnu, and we are a very powerful nation, and sometimes I think uh, not even everyone in our nation realizes just how powerful we are, and this is part of the reason why I want to do this podcast. Um, I come from a really big family. I have eight sisters and three brothers, and they were completely instrumental in getting me to where I am today. Everything that I've learned, I learned first from them, their sense of identity, their loyalty to the nation, their sense of commitment to the community and making things better, a strong sense of advocacy and activism, you know, everything from attending meetings, educating other people, but also boots on the ground. And I think that has had a really strong influence for me over the years. 
I'm also a mom of two boys, Mitchell and Jeremy, but I guess now that they've reached their 24th and 26th birthdays, I should probably start calling them men, but to me, they'll always be my kids. And I've raised them in the same way. Um, I was pregnant with my youngest son and we were doing uh, protests for the illegal cuts to off-reserve housing, for example. And they've attended with me to lots of I Don't Know More events, lots of protests, uh, lots of public speaking. And, you know, they've, they've really shown um, that, you know, they're going to be part of this next generation of advocacy and activism. And I think it's, it's something that's incumbent upon us to bring the younger generation along. On the professional side of things, um, kind of have a bunch of different jobs. Uh, I've been a practicing lawyer for 20 years, although in the interest of full disclosure, I did do what I call 10 years hard time in the federal government as a senior legal counsel at Justice Canada and a senior director at Indian Affairs, but I can guarantee you I am fully rehabilitated and I am safe to be back in the activism world. And this is where I've been for the last decade. I've been an associate professor, professor at Ryerson University in the Department of Politics and Public Administration. Uh, but I also hold the position of chair in Indigenous Governance, which has really allowed me uh, more time to get into communities and work with individual First Nations on a whole host of issues, activism and advocacy included. However, I'm I'm most proud of the I Don't Know More days. I was one of the spokespeople, educators, and organizers for the I Don't Know More movement. And for our indigenous brothers and sisters or our social justice and environmental allies all around the world who might not be familiar with I Don't Know More, I Don't Know More was this like historic social movement led by indigenous peoples, primarily indigenous women in the beginning. And what we were really doing was responding to Canada's harsh policies against our people uh, by engaging in teach-ins and educating our communities about what was happening. We organized things like round dances in malls and streets and schools and universities. We protested legislation being imposed on us without our consent and in a very undemocratic and to us unconstitutional way. Uh, some of us also engaged in blockades to bring attention to the many overlapping crises in our community. And to us, it's a matter of life and death. I mean, we were trying to bring attention to the crisis of our kids being overrepresented in foster care, over-incarcerated, the high rates of poverty, the lack of housing and water, the lack of access uh, to, to health care even. And of course, things like murder to missing Indigenous women and girls was really high on our uh, commitment to gain the public's attention. But it was actually during this time that I realized just how powerful education is, the sharing of information and analysis. And, and I'm not talking about formal education, and that's important too. You know, we've got our uh, traditional education that we get from our nations and our elders and, and our people and our communities. And then we have like this formal education that you might get in 
K to 12, university, college, and training. But I'm really talking about a different kind of education. It's a more organic education where we share information with one another, we share our analysis, and come together in ways with all of the, you know, the facts and the research to try to come up with strategies to address these issues ourselves. It's, it's a way of using you know, this organic education to empower our people. And it seemed like this is what Idle No More was really all about. And I learned a lot of lessons from that. Um, and so really from then on, I made a, like this concerted effort to utilize as many communication tools as possible to keep our people informed now informed about everything it could be about human rights it could be about first nation rights it could be about you know federal or provincial laws and policies that are coming down the pipelines or you know court cases that are ongoing or you know just tidbits of information that if looked at in isolation it doesn't seem like a big deal but when you put it all together it looks and uh you know, the pattern or the trend is revealed. And I think it's really important that our people know what's going on because there's a lot of information. There's a lot of noise. It's impossible to know everything. So bringing us all together as a collective, our collective knowledge is really what helps uh, educate our communities. And so what I tried to do really was use as many communication tools as possible to keep our people informed and our allies informed about what they can do to help us. You know, that could be information sessions right in First Nation communities, uh, presentations at meetings of large numbers of First Nation leaders, for example, uh, public speaking so that the public knew the kinds of issues that we were facing. Uh, presentations at you know before parliamentary and senate committees which I know many people consider very useless because they rarely ever make changes to their you know legislation or policies based on what we say but the fact that they're videotaped and can be shared online it's a way of educating other people uh, similarly, sharing this information with the various United Nations treaty bodies was also super important to me as well because they actually take that information and the research we provide them and they make recommendations to states like Canada and the United States and uh, Australia, New Zealand and other countries with Indigenous peoples and highlight what countries are and are not doing, what rights are being violated and that's, that's also important for our people to know as well. And you know it there's other forms too, engaging with mainstream media, um, written publications, and of course, I mean, to me, one of the most important ones that I consider right now is social media. Social media has grown in so many forms. There are so many ways in which we can access large numbers of people in real time and communicate with one another. So it's not just about posting information one way. Social media really allows you to have a conversation, to organize, to plan, uh, to educate in, in a two-way exchange. And to me, social media has really offered the best way for us to help one another. It's almost like engaging at the community level. 
Because when you're in a community, it's not just about one person doing a presentation. It's about an exchange of knowledge where the people in the community say, well, what about this? And what about that? And here's what we've learned. And what about these questions? And so it's this knowledge exchange that makes us collectively stronger and more informed because we know no one person can know everything. No matter how much experience they have, no matter how old they are, no matter how much education or training, it's, it's just simply impossible. But together as a collective, we can use that different knowledge, skills, ideas, and strategies to protect ourselves and our rights. And I really think that social media is like an connecting our communities in a way that we we simply couldn't be connected before and that's really important to me um so i for anyone who follows me on my other social media be it facebook or youtube twitter instagram pinterest uh whatever it is i utilize most of my other social media tools really to focus on you know the resistance side of things resistance to uh, unjust government laws and policies or decolonization, you know, um, making sure that we kick the colonizer out of our heads and and uh, reject any form of assimilation. And uh, I also use those platforms as an advocacy platform. So to bring attention to crisis that, uh, that our people might be suffering, uh, to make calls of action to address issues in a very particular way, to help um, make you know calls for support or stand in solidarity with Indigenous peoples uh, all over Canada or the U.S. or where wherever else they need our help and assistance and attention, um, and you know effectively protecting our rights and and so my social media <clears throat> and my mainstream media appearances have primarily focused on that, but. Throughout my experience in working with all of these communities in whatever way, you know, whether it was as a professor or an activist or um, attending social events, I found that the more I learned about warrior life and what it means to be a warrior, I realized that I needed to use these social media tools in other ways, not just focus solely on acts of resistance, but there's the other side to it. So resisting assimilation is one thing and resisting things that hurt us is one thing, but we also have to put some effort into the revitalization side of things. So also revitalizing and resurging and, and you know, regrowing and supporting and rebuilding all of the things that make us strong, healthy, and happy. That includes, you know, our own personal health, our identity, um, the health and well-being of our collectives, for example. And so it's, you know, warrior life is also about balance. And I thought, well, if, I, if I'm going to, you know, continue on this path, then I have to make sure that I'm really looking at what it means to be a warrior in all of its different ways. And... You know, I learned a lot from a lot of people about warrior life and we'll talk to some of those people and feature some of the books where we uh, where I learned some of this information. But we need to think about what a warrior life in a different way. So, for example, you know, our warriors won't last very long 
if they eat a daily diet of chips and pop or they watch TV all day long instead of nourishing their lungs with air or their muscles with blood flow. And it can be as very basic and individual as that. Also, our warriors won't be able to help us rebuild our nations if they are heartbroken on the inside and they don't know how to work through their hurts. And this is something that's very relevant and it's very personal. And um, a lot of our people struggle with various forms of heartbreak, uh, not just from historical forms of colonization, but the kinds of things that are happening today. So the cause is important and the cause is, you know, the protection and defense of our people's lands and waters, because we know that is critical to not only our overall survival, but the survival of the planet. However, we need warriors for the cause. And the warrior life reminds us that we as individuals are in fact part of the cause, that the cause is also helping ourselves as individuals and, and um, by doing so, by making us stronger and healthier and happier, we're contributing to making stronger, healthier and happier families, communities and nations. So it's all interconnected and that's why this balance is so important. It's also why I want to use this podcast to specifically talk about me and you. How do we do this? How does a warrior life help us? And what is a warrior life and how is it interpreted by different peoples in different places and and how will this contribute to living our best warrior lives as individuals so this podcast is going to take a deeper look at that how can we live our best lives our, our best warrior lives it'll also address some of the misconceptions about warriors and what they are there's lots of uh, people in society who have very particular ideas. Some people assume warriors are, you know, the camo wearing boots on the ground standing in defense of our land. And they would be right. But being a warrior also means raising happy, healthy, happy, healthy, and conscious children who have a sense of loyalty to our nations and will contribute to nation building. Being a warrior also means, if you know how to speak your language, continuing to speak it and teaching it to other people. There's many different ways of being a lawyer, uh, being a warrior, and part of this podcast will be addressing some of the misconceptions about warriors and dispelling some of the myths. So, in the coming weeks on this podcast, we'll cover a variety of topics like natural health nutrition and traditional foods, physical fitness and exercise, mental health and well-being, spirituality and traditional practices. We'll take a look at books written by Indigenous authors because I think reading and information and perspective and voice is really important and there's quite a number of indigenous authors from Canada and the US and in fact all over the world who have written very sub substantive books on significant issues with a lot of good information in there that we can use. 
We'll also talk about things like technology and social media and, and how to get yourself started on any of these social media platforms for your own cause, your own advocacy. Um, we'll talk about activism and advocacy and how that contributes to mental health and well-being and, and a sense of being a part of something that's significant. Uh, we'll also talk about issues related to reconciliation and not just generic reconciliation or, you know, what the government should be doing, because I think that the conversation is primarily focused around that right now, but also reconciliation in society. What is society's role? What can the media specifically do to take part? What can universities do? What can teachers do? Very concrete, substantive ways that people in society can take action. And I think, you know, importantly, highlighting good news stories from our communities. It is so important to see that there are many, many good things happening in our communities, even in the places that have the least amount of money, uh, the least amount of economic opportunities. There are individuals in those communities who are doing amazing things, either to preserve language or to help elders or, you know, to help uh, teach children how to live on the land. We have so many people doing good things, and I think we need to hear more about them and from them. And so part of this podcast will also feature interviews with Indigenous warriors from all backgrounds. And they could be artists, academics, activists, community builders, volunteers, you name it. There are people from every walk of life. And I think it's important to talk to people about how do they live a warrior life and what lessons have they learned and and what can they share with us uh, on our journey. And I'll also share some of my experiences and stories and personal journeys in the hopes of uh, sharing some lessons learned and also hoping that you'll share back as well because we I really want this podcast to be a two-way exchange a really good conversation so if all of this sounds good to you please support this podcast by subscribing liking the episodes and sharing with your friends and family but most importantly I hope you tune into future episodes and send me all of your questions, comments, and suggested topics that you want me to cover because I want to talk about what you want to talk about. And in the end, let's use this podcast to figure out how we can travel down this warrior path together. Walalan, and thank you for listening.